0: During the start of COVID, the Office of National Statistics did a survey about the effects of COVID on the actual rhythms of daily lives. And the Times reported, and I remember it just being uh, startled, Uh, life that spring uh, was summed up as being antisocial, being marked by increased uh, laziness and alcohol consumption. And then against the perceived appearance of everyone getting fitter and working harder from home. Uh, there was a real sense that people actually felt that they had lost purpose. There wasn't any real enjoyment about being cut off from one another or being unable to go into the home. And then when you dive down into the statistics, uh, it was fascinating. That year, uh, it doesn't seem like much, but it was, our average sleep went up by 18 minutes, our average TV consumption went up by two hours, 54 minutes every day, as well as 39 minutes more of daily gardening. Now, uh, that would be me doing 39 minutes in total, because I'm not a green finger. But when our lives were impacted back then by this drastic change, uh, we suddenly had to find new ways and new things of what to do. And we might be thinking, so what difference did it make then? But I remember when I was reading that statistic, when I saw that article, it had me thinking about how COVID affected us so drastically, so differently, and yet it soon became normal. This unexpected event in January 2020, none of us had any sight that it might ever come. In March 2020, I was in Joss on a trip, and little did I know that the world was changing around me, and so the day we come home, the airport car park was empty and quiet, and then the day after, Britain went into lockdown for what was, I thought, would be two weeks and what should have been, it was months. We were unable to gather as church. We were unable to worship as families. We were unable to see our friends, our loved ones and their rhythms and the routines that we had been so uh, dearly accustomed to. Uh, it was a drastic change. It impacted every part of our life and yet, now, it is but a memory. It seems as if it never really happened. It's hard to even think about what those days were like. What once was, was soon forgotten. And here this morning in John's Gospel, we see a reading that of John, Uh, where he's introducing this real figure of John the Baptist, uh, and then John the Baptist does what he does. He uh, does the introducing. He points not to his own ministry, not to his own purpose or identity or worth, but to the one who is to come after him. And here's the simple point this morning. If COVID had such a profound impact on how we lived and how we loved and on how we served, one another, this simple coming, this one-time historical event, must and should, if we believe it, have a far, far, far greater impact on who we are, on how we love and how we serve one another in the church. Every Christmas is a reminder of this rhythm, of this world-altering change. If it's real in our lives, Christ comes not into the world to do nice things. He came into the world to change the world. And that's what we heard about last Sunday with the guys from Planet by as they looked at the little baby and they said something about this little one will change the world. And he does. John gets to the point in our first two verses, verses 68, outline really what that is. It's a sovereign purpose, as in it is everything that he has come for. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. He came only as a witness to that light. John introduces John the Baptist here, the author John. Uh, and so twice, the author of this gospel makes clear John's purpose in life, that John the Baptist is not... Uh, a, a, a prophet of old. He's not coming to call the people to repent in the sense of the Old Testament. He's not an Elijah type figure or a Moses type figure. He's not one who has come to do what has been done in the past. Rather, he has come with one specific and one singular purpose to point to Jesus. To point to the Messiah of the world, he who will save us from our sins, he who will restore us in God's image, he who will enable us by grace through faith to walk with God every day in life. And so if COVID changed how we live, then this good news, this gospel that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and like me, that should change everything. It should change how we see the world. It should change how we live in the world. It should change how we love one another as a church family. And then, as we go from here, and as we heard about Wednesday night, Colossians, it should change every aspect of our lives. As Paul reminds us, don't dress like the world. Put on the things of Christ. Patience, forgiveness, because you have been forgiven. Love above all things this is the good news of Christmas. And twice John, the author of this Gospel, makes clear that this is why John the Baptist has come. And the beauty of Christmas, uh, at its time of year, is that we celebrate this light coming into the world amid the darkest of deaths. As the nights lengthen and the sun shortens, as that darkness becomes routine, And normal, we are reminded that there is light and hope that is abundant and dispels all darkness and all light. We are reminded that he is the light of the world and his light cannot be quenched, his light cannot be dwelled if we encounter it by faith. And so here is John in the wilderness ministering among the people of God for six. Hundred years they have not heard one who has spoken with the authority of the prophets of old. There has been silence. They have longed for one to come and to speak and to witness and to say what the Lord is doing. And they have heard nothing. Six hundred years there has been silence. Six hundred years the people have thought that God is no more with them. And he is. Because God is always at work not by our timing or expectations, but by his timing and his expectations that so appeared suddenly and rapidly on the scene, John the Baptist, to bear witness to this light, this light of hope, this light of God." In verse 19 uh, to 23, we begin to see that he knows his purpose. A couple of years ago, I was in England at a wedding uh, and I'd landed at the airport. I'd taken the metro into Manchester City uh, and I was sitting in a coffee shop waiting uh, patiently for friends to meet me uh, because I didn't really know where I was going. And you know that look that you get, especially I think in Northern Ireland, when people recognise you or think they recognise you on the street, that sort of awkward uh, glare as a minister. I don't know, or just as someone who seems to be recognisable, I often get it, and I've learned to just say, hello, I might, if you see me out in the street, I'll probably not remember where I know you, because it's a different context, but I'll try and remember as I talk to you. And so we were chatting, and I was sitting, waiting, and I could see these people coming down the street at, with this recognition, of this look of recognition. And as they got closer to me, I, I, I could tell that they knew me, my the hunch was correct, as uh, the hands started to wave, and finally I got this uh, big hug given. And, and when they got, are you over from Belfast? They asked. I thought, oh, they do know we yes. But the longer the conversation went on, uh, the opposite happened. As what normally happens, eventually I remember. This time I hadn't a clue. It, what finally blew the whole thing over was when they asked about my wife now as far as i'm aware i'm not married nor never have been uh, so i had to in a sense bar and say look i don't have a clue who you are and i don't think you have a clue who i am and yet they were undeterred apparently whoever i looked like was a great practical joker oh, don't be so silly, you don't find right like, who we are. This when. no, honestly, I do not know who you are. This conversation went on for a couple of minutes like that, until eventually I had to take out a passport and say, oh, seriously, I'm Andrew, and whoever you were looking for is not me. Uh, they were flabbergasted in that sense that, no, well, i a good looking fella. You'd have to laugh when I say jokes like that, go on. Uh, But whoever it was that they were, because Vince, I was, obviously looked like me, but he wasn't me. It had nothing to do with me. I'd never met him. I'd never looked like him. I'd never known him. We were completely different people with completely different paths in life. And so here is John the Baptist uh, coming onto the scene after 600 years of silence from God's ministers and God's witnesses. And what is it that people want? They want him to be who they want him to be. The question has come. Who are you? Even as John cries out, I am not the Messiah. He who will come after me has surpassed me because in fact he was before me. He's talking about Jesus here. It's not me, says John. He has never sought it to be. He has never claimed it to be. He's never wanted it to be about him. And yet, the people hear. And what does the people say? Who are you then? It might be you. I am not the Messiah, is John's answer. And so, they seem to settle for that. But if you're not the Messiah, maybe, maybe you're something nearly as good. And that's what these questions that unfold as they ask him, are you a man nice to that? No. Are you a prophet? No. Who are you? And what are we told? That John replies with the words of the prophet Isaiah. Because all of this has been planned. From the beginning, God has known what it is that God will do in the world to bring his children home. And so John knows his role and the, Pro- the Scriptures have spoken of his role and now he makes clear that I am the one in the wilderness crying out, preparing the way for the Messiah. John is clear who he is not. He is clear who he is. And more beautifully than that, he is Clear on the one who is to come. Ripples of hope must have moved among the towns and peoples as John had begun to minister. Imagine the furrow that sort of arises as this great preacher begins a ministry after hundreds and hundreds of years of no one like him no one doing the things that he is doing. Not only is he preaching, but he's baptizing this great symbol of repentance and redemption. Uh, and so the people are drawn out to um, those figures of, of old, Elijah and the prophet, as they long and hope for something. And what is John the Baptist's response this time? No, no, no. I am not who you want me to be, he says, I am what God has called me to be. And so I am here for one thing, to point to the one who is to come, verse 28, and he's already among you, even if you don't recognize him. It's the most fascinating of dialogues and discussion. It's the most amazing of ministry uh, to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, to be the one who in a sense will make ready and make clear to the world that he is coming, who will do, in a sense, the groundwork of Jesus. And he never, ever, once seems to rise above his station to consider himself greater. He never thinks, well, maybe then, actually, I am someone important, maybe, I'm just a little better than these. John knows that he, in the same way as all who have come to him, are in need of a Savior. And that Savior has come. That Savior stands there among the people as they witness and hear John teaching. And we know that because in the next section that we don't look at, we're told the next dead. Jesus takes saints and begins to minister and teach. And so the question that we're left with is, if John knows who he is by faith, how are we in this world that we live in, in this life uh, that we sometimes struggle through and find ourselves tired by and wearied by and, and all that is going on and all that afflicts us and affects us and all those things that we give thanks for? and rejoice in, if we're to ask that question of our life in Jesus, do we know him? And then, do we know what it means to live for him as we seek uh, uh, to walk in this world? Uh, John's identity was clear. I am not the Messiah, but his purpose was clear as well. I am called to make known this great hope of the Messiah who is to come. And that's what John, the author of this gospel, introduces so clearly and uh, and bluntly as we read these verses. In verses 6 to 8, we have that purpose of John's ministry, that he has come to make known this coming of the Lord. And then in purpose, verses 19 to 28, we see the outworking of that. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John the Baptist, as he became known, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all people might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world." It's a beautiful passage. And so, as John is questioned, again, never once does he take upon himself any of the light or hope of the people of God. Are you, Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? I am not. Who are you? I have a voice unknown, unimportant of warmth, standing in the wilderness where the world is not where the powers need not be and there i am calling out make streets for the way of our lord and so they ask him why is it that you baptize then at the bottom of page 1063 if you're not the christ nor elijah nor the prophet And John points out uh, so subtly, I baptize you with water. And notice there, but among you now stands, one you do not know. Jesus is already there. He is among them, and soon his ministry will begin. He is the one who will come after me, the laces of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And we know that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So, as John ministers in the wilderness, his voice, in a sense, echoes today and asks the same question. Do we see this Messiah, this one who has come into the world to change it? If we see it, then have we, in a sense, come and receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith, through grace, that the boy who was born in a manger, who went to the cross, and there on Calvary, that he bled and died for you and me, that by his death we might live, and by his life we might know what it means to live, until he comes again. And if we know him as Lord and Saviour in our lives, if we confess him, in a sense, in our heart as Christ, as the Messiah, if we know our need is saving, then we're to become like John the Baptist. We don't sit back and idly wait, in a sense, for the Lord's time to come, checking our watches, hoping it's soon. Rather, like John, we go out into the wilderness of the world, and like John, we know our purpose. It is to point to Jesus, because we become the ones who say, We are the voices in the wilderness of this world, crying out, making straight that the Lord has come and will come again, and He loves you. He has come for you. You have value, you have purpose, and you have a a place in His kingdom. If only you will confess Him by uh, your lips and that we join together in unity. Wherever we are from, whatever we have done, whatever our history has been in the kingdom of God, we are one in purpose and heart. And so, above all, we put on love to make clear the way of the Lord. So, today, let us hear these words of John the Baptist. Let us, in a sense, take them in our heart, see at where we stand with Christ. And then with John the Baptist, let us go out into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit, not by ourselves, to know God and make God known. Let us pray.